Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There's no gatekeepers anymore, and I and, and that's why the movie got done. There's no gatekeepers. We still have to sell the movie. I still you still have to do good product, but the gatekeepers are gone. So don't worry about the gatekeepers anymore. That's my advice. Don't worry about the gatekeepers. Do what you want to do. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard, back for our first regular show in 2017. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you had a great holiday and an amazing New Year. I know I did. I traveled my boys through Colorado, Nebraska, Wyoming, South Dakota, visited Mount Rushmore. It was just a really special time. As always, as you know, I just want to tell you guys so much. Thank you so much for everything. Amazing. I can't thank you enough. What you've done for this podcast has been incredible. And what we have coming for you in the next few months from guests like one of the Los Angeles Lakers owners, Jeannie Buss, to Walter Latham, who put together the original Kings of Comedy to Ted Sarandos, the president of Netflix. You're in for some great shows coming up and very, very excited about what the year has to offer. But as always, I'm more excited because I'm sitting across from one of the most amazing comedians that I've ever met in my entire life. Truly extraordinary. And I'm talking about Christopher Titus. I've known Chris my whole life. And one of the things I think when I look at him is that we're all born into lives that we don't know what they're going to be. Some of us are fortunate enough to be born into situations where they're with model families and they have wonderful support systems. And then other people are born into situations like Christopher Titus where everything is lined up against you from the moment you're born. And the chances of you getting out and being a healthy and productive member of society are next to impossible. I always think to myself how hard it is to be successful in any business. So difficult, even if you're from an amazing family, even if you have everything working for you. And when you don't have everything working for you, 
I have enormous respect for those people who figured out a way to take their pain and turn it into something that makes them driven and productive and really, really powerful. And Christopher Titus is an example of that. And Christopher Titus is that old expression that your grandparents used to say, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Chris channeled all the unbelievable things that happened in his life, which I don't even want to talk about here because I know that we're going to get into it in the podcast. But suffice to say, this man has gone through hell and back in his life. Twelve years into his career, he decided he was going to use all the stories that you can't even believe anybody could possibly go through and create comedy out of tragedy. And he did that, and he put pen to paper, and he worked hard writing and creating and performing over and over and over again until he created an extraordinary show called Norman Rockwell is Bleeding. And that, after all the years of pounding the pavements of stand-up, broke open the doors for him to get his own television show, Titus, to be an executive producer, and to be able to create unbelievable television that was so smart and so dark, yet so unique, and a kind of television show that was so original that I can't even recall another television show even having the same tone. It was so powerful, and if you have never seen Titus, you need to figure out a way to see it. But the point I'm trying to make here is that no matter how difficult things are in your life, just work hard and work on the things that you have to work on that focus in on the things you've been through in your life. If you are an artist, write about your life. Write about the things that are happening with you or that have happened with you. Those are the things that are going to be the most authentic. Those are the things that are going to be the things that speak to you. And chances are there's many, many other millions of people out there, believe it or not, who've been through what you've been through. And when I look at Christopher Titus, I see somebody who has beat all the odds, like many of you out there have many odds against you. And he did it by reaching deep inside himself and using the things that happen in this life for good, not evil. And that's why if you're able to do these kind of things that he's done in his life, you'll definitely have the chance of having the kind of career that he has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now the end. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. I always told you that I, I was so proud to work with you because 
you always want to be associated with people who are brilliant and geniuses. Well. You were like Lenny Bruce and George Carlin's son. Nah. That's a crazy compliment to do. That's that's not even, that's not valid. I, I would say maybe, because the storytelling, maybe Cosby and a little bit of Carlin. Carlin to this day, same with Patton's Werewolves and, and Lollipops. If when I feel shitty about my comedy, I will go listen to Werewolves and Lollipops or go listen to Carlin's last three specials. Well, there's people out in the world now listening to your last three specials and waiting for the next one. So, But I think there was something about you that always fascinated me about your life and how you overcame and did it. You're a brilliant man, incredibly talented, funny, great looking, but you're obviously broken. <laughs> <laughs> You're obviously broken. I'm making that t-shirt. You can't be that brilliant without being broken. Look, man, you, like, life keeps life and you're going to you're gonna keep fucking up. You know, you, the problem is that you either have tools to deal with your fuck ups or you don't. I, the Landmark Forum gave me the tools to deal with my fuck ups. So now when those happen, I can stop and go, you know, lose my TV show because of the forum. I, I, you know, I'd had it four years before and I I'd, I'd, I'd kind of got out of it and I, I, and I could totally accept my fault. I've accepted that anything that happens in my life has nothing to do with my mom or my dad, has nothing to do with anything I've do, they've done or you've done or anybody else. The business isn't keeping me out from getting the success I want. It's me, something I'm doing. So I can't affect you. I can't affect them. I can't affect my dad. I couldn't affect anybody. The only person I can affect is me. So because of that, that's what I learned in the forum. The only person I can affect is me. And because of that, now when something goes wrong, it's it's so much easier to sit back and go, those guys did. It's their fault, you know. But it's not. It's my fault. So what did I do? You know, I, I, the insight I got about my ex-wife was, um, I go, she cheated on me. She stole all our money. She wrote three hundred. She it was it was horrible. Like she she embezzled like three hundred grand from us. It's crazy. I came home from the road and all the bank accounts were empty one day, and she said it was identity theft. So I was in. The, I went back to the form after the divorce was started because I was really out of it. I said I need some insight. And the the guy goes, well, I go, what you do? I go, I go, how can, how can it be my fault? She did this, this, and this. And they go, well, what did you do when she did that I go what do you mean I go she did this and this you go well what'd she do when you did that I go nothing she's my wife what could I do exactly they were like you let it go you just kept stepping over the problem you kept stepping over the problem why are you surprised now that the problem blew up I was like wow that's a hard one to face when it's all your fault because by the way your success uh, your success to get in a position where people help you for success yes those people helped you but to get in that position is your fault uh, to fail my TV show my fault once you've accepted it's your fault, this movie that we just did, Special Unit, it's funny or it's not. My fault. You know, no one, and and I got people I'm responsible for with it, you know, the investors and stuff, but it's it's my fault if it's good and if it's my fault if it's bad. If it's good, it's obviously everybody else's contribution, but I wrote it and I directed it and it's going to work or it's not. Let's talk about what's the first inspiration that you realize maybe I should take my life and turn it into a show called Norman Rockwell is Bleeding. Um, I was going to quit comedy. I was going to quit. I was to the point I was 12 years in. I've been doing stand-up. I hated... Every comic will get this. If you do... Comics, there's a thing for a long time, and, and it's happening a lot less now because there's so much media to get your stuff out. There were comics who did the same act for 10 years. You know, guys. There's guys to this day. I know one comic that's done it 17 years, same fucking act. And he'll... he'll I got my new stuff, and it'd be a three-minute bit about Bob Dylan. You're like, what do you... What, that's not your new stuff, dude. So, um, so what happened was is that I... Uh, I started to hate my act. I'd be on stage and I'd, I'd, there'd be, I've talked about this before, 
piece I'd written that I'd been doing six years would start to come towards my brain to come out of my mouth and I'd go oh, fuck I hate this fucking piece of shit and I would, I would say it again so uh, I was gonna quit and I had taken the forum and I thought the forum tells you that you know that life doesn't exist without risk really you know, it doesn't exist you're not living life you're just flatlining so I said you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna toss out and I had a great manager a guy named Bruce Smith who's a Maria Bamford's manager I love Bruce Smith Omnipop he was a magent he was, he was agent. part agent yeah. part manager and now he's a manager yeah he was, he, but, but, but he was he was he was one of the few people that said keep going further him and Dave Stroop would be like one of the comedy club owners he would be like go for further with that so I wrote Norman Rockwell's Bleeding uh, the original bit I wrote was called uh, We Need Comedy to Get Rid of Our Desire to Kill which I I, so I hated my comedy so much dude I had to break it I shaved my head one day I just shaved the sides of my head I was like Mr. Perfect Hair and everything I just fucking one day I went I hate what I'm doing I gotta be different so I thought well, I'll just and I just shaved my head uh, and I wrote this bit called We Need Comedy to Get Rid of Our Desire to Kill which ended up on the last two specials ago or last special um because I was, it was such a conceptual bit that I wasn't ready to do it. And basically, it's the worst day you can have from beginning to end. I'm just ranting. I'm just raging on stage about the worst day I can have. And at the end, I'm about to stab my boss in the chest. And he goes, "What?" He goes, "He goes, he goes, he goes. What's what's the what's the matter with you?" And I said, "I just need a good laugh." And that's why it was, it was to point out why we come to comedy clubs. And I, and I took in a guy from my acting class because I was so I, was, I so knew this I was going to get my ass kicked. I knew when I did this bit, the audience was going to rise up uh, as it, as they were they were the South Pre-Civil War and kill me, and they went nuts. They went fucking nuts. I get done three minute long bit. They go ah, and I all I've got is my old shitty material. So I drop back into that and I tank for seven minutes. So I get an applause break in three, tank for seven, and now I'm like fuck. And so I decided to throw everything out and I threw every piece of comedy I had out and I started writing Norman Rockwell's Bleeding and I took even stuff that I'd written about my mom and dad the cute stuff I'd written about their divorce I took that dismantled it and wrote the real stuff about I wrote about my mom's mental illness I'll never forget the first time I did and comedy's such a process you have to like this new bit I have this this new show I'm writing about politics I have to figure out a way to write it to, so once you get these concepts it takes a while to get it right, you know? I mean, people that you watch these guys and people, that guy's brilliant. Yeah, but it took him eight months to get that joke to work. It took him four months just to get the concept funny. Um, so I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I wrote the bit about my mom's mental illness, and I didn't realize it. I get on stage to do it, and I start doing it, and I start crying on stage. I start literally, I'm choking up. I'm in the middle of these jokes, and the audience is like, the audiences are such a great barometer of who you're being at the moment. They really sense you. And the audience, they were like, ha, ha. And they started just, ha. And, and I was like, hey, my mom, this is my show, my illness. I used to, and, and, and it tanked. But I did it the next night, next night, next night, next night. And then I realized that, that everything in that happens in the world is just absurd. Some people think I'm kind of I'm kind of mean or psychotic or heartless to be able to talk about my mom's mental illness or my, or my mom's suicide or, or, or my dad's fist fighting my dad. Some people think that's kind of, that's kind of, how can you even talk about that, man? It's so serious. No, it's absurd. It's human beings are fucking absurd. Human beings are weird. And, and so if, if, you, if you can write it from, you can't write it from anger. You can't be mad at, I couldn't be mad at my dad and write the jokes I've written about him. I had to be over it. So you complete that and you showcase it for the Montreal Just for Last Festival. 
No, no, no. I didn't get it there. That's not what happened. Actually, Montreal. I done two. I done two. I got two deals out of Montreal. Um, one was uh, New Faces. I got a deal. We they hired a writer. No one's going to give me that shot. Hired a writer. He had me in a goofy thing where I had a Latino buddy and we were dating twins. And the twins, we never knew who we were dating, and it was fucking horrible. And I realized, wow, this guy. They paid this guy to do this for me. Then I got another deal where we actually uh, I pitched oh that didn't go. So I. Uh, I had gone to two, two, three deals, and and although I'd been paid well, I nothing happened. And I took the form and I said, you know what? Next deal, I'm writing it. Fuck it, I don't give a shit what he says. And I told Bruce, I said, I want to write it. And Bruce was like, well, no one's going to give that to you. I said, okay, then we won't do it. And they go, what's the concept? And I said, here's the concept. And he's like, okay. And that was where that was the idea for Titus came up. And uh, Bruce was like, okay, let's sell it. And he, but he, I thought, I think we all thought it was pretty outrageous. Um, um, so here's what happened. So. When we pitched it all around, we went to NBC to pitch it. I'll never forget this. This is executive. This is why. This is why executives. Like, I have a big problem, and it's never going to help me. And it, there's some great ones. Doug Herzog, phenomenal. Uh, John Landgraf. There's some. There's some great people in the business. There's some. You know, McPherson at his peak was. This. There's some guys that are just phenomenal executives. And then there's the rest of everybody. Just like comics. There's some great fucking comics. And then there's everybody else. So here's what happened. We go to NBC to pitch it. We pitch this. We pitch Titus out basically with a dysfunctional family. My dad's an alcoholic. My mom's mentally ill. Blah, blah, blah. The woman at NBC goes, this is great. We love this. Here's what we're about at NBC. And she takes this rock from the successories. You know, that, that thing where they these inspirational thing. And it's this round rock and it says risk on it. And she slams it down to him and goes, good. We love this. This is what we're about at NBC. We walk out of the room. Bruce goes, I've never been to a meeting that went that well. Phenomenal. Walking the line goes, he's going, I think we sold it. I'm like, all right, whatever. Good. They call us back literally three hours later. Yeah, it's a little too edgy for us. <laughs> And I was like, and I, and I, and, and, and I'm literally on my computer and when you know, I'm, I'm writing her a letter right now. I'm going, why don't you send the risk rock back to the accessories? Cause you didn't risk to get it. You went to the fucking mall and bought it. And he's like, calm down, calm down, calm down. I'm like, no man, you don't, you, you don't get stoked about something and sell us out on this, the second and see. So anyway, so I didn't send the letter. And then we're at um, we're at Fox pitching it again, and um, Michael Hanel and Mindy Schulteis, who are great producers, um, amazing. Yeah, they were just good and good people too. Um, and yeah, yeah, anyway, so we're there and we pitch it, and at the end of it, I just said, "Listen," she goes, "She goes, do you think people will go for this?" I go, "I go, I go, I tour the country all the time. These jokes work everywhere." Because what had happened was we had, the reason that it got seen because I'd rented, I took my last eighty five hundred bucks and I rented the Hudson Theater for like I had Mondays and Tuesdays for six weeks, and I'd been working the bit. To, working on Morocco on the road and Bruce to his credit goes okay it's all about your childhood you need something about your current life so I went out before literally two weeks before we had to debut the show and I wrote a bunch of new stuff about my girlfriend that used to punch me in the face and my ex-wife cheated my, 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 when she was a girl she, my ex-wife cheated on me when we were dating also <laughs> and I stayed with her yeah I'm a smart guy see how dumb I am um, and uh and, and I so I wrote those bits and I got those working and I came back and we put the show up and the night that Titus the night that the executive came to see Titus we had eight people in the audience eight and I did it full out and uh, and she went back to Fox and said I found something and we had a meeting with Michael and Mindy at 20th and they said uh, they said wow this is you know we like it and uh, it's a little risky and uh, what do you think I said I said doesn't matter I go listen all I want to do with Titus at the end of the day is because dysfunctional used to be a bad word. I want to cause a paradigm shift in the way people see their screwed up lives. I don't want people to be surprised anymore to talk about their mom shooting their husband or anything or, or getting in a fight with their dad. It shouldn't be, it's not a bad thing. You're, you're actually more experienced. My whole concept for Titus was, 
I'm like, you know what, man? The world will chew you the fuck up. If you don't understand how darkness can help you. And so that was the whole point. Like darkness can help you. Darkness. It, 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 I've been through so much shit that when something horrible happens, I don't ball up in a fetal position now. I just go, okay, let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> that's why I did, we did we did special unit. You know, special unit is another thing. Uh, my, all my friends, I have some disabled comic friends. And, and although Hollywood talks a good game, uh, they don't give them jobs. So, and, and now I think it's changing a little bit now. I mean, the Farrelly brothers are the only guys that have done it in that new show, Speechless, I think. But how long has it been since that? they had a protest like 12 years ago about it and no one got jobs until recently. So we wrote, I wrote Special Unit No. 06 to, to give all my friends with disabilities jobs. And we did the, you know, the concept and the whole thing was, all I want to do with Titus, I think the only way a project gets done well is if there's passion in it. You can just keep spewing shit and if you may work and fine, you'll get it. But if you have passion in it, there's something that crosses over to the audience. This is what I believe. Um, special unit was supposed to cause a paradigm shift in the way people saw disabled people. You originally did that as a pilot for I, Doug Herzog yeah. and it was phenomenal. After Showtime, after Showtime, we saw it to Showtime and Showtime said uh, to Greenblatt, Greenblatt, Bob Greenblatt, who's now the president of NBC. Great. And by the way, another good executive, another guy who, so we pitched it to him. We pitched special unit. Basically, due to the Fairness and Disabilities Act, the LAPD has to hire four handicapped undercover detectives and I play Nick Nolte's mugshot. That's the whole pitch for the movie. So we saw it to we sell, sell them the pitch they go it's great I write a script take it in the, take it in the green black and it goes yeah we can't do this it's too edgy you gotta remember this is 05 or 06 so people weren't as open it wasn't like people were like you know we're gonna piss off a lot of people with this basically um, and so I took it to Herzog and it takes a couple months but Herzog finally goes alright we're gonna shoot this and he let us that was the first time they let me do my own production and Brian Cranston directed it directed the pilot I'd asked Brian to do the movie but he you know he's obviously he can't he can't now he's he's, he's he said, he goes, yeah, I'm busy for three years. I'm like, well, I can't wait that long. So, uh, so now 10 years later, uh, I wrote a script, uh, Peter Farrelly got involved for, of, of all people, but here's the re reason I wrote special unit. My friends who are comics, they are put at a disadvantage all the time. Even when they're really funny, Michael Aronin is really a funny cat and he's got cerebral palsy. So as he, I mean, Michael to this day will sit in a restaurant with his wife and this happened recently. He's at a fucking IHOP and these two people, these two old people lean over to his wife and go, it's so good you work with these people. Mike's, Mike works for the government. He works for ICE. He actually uh, is a public speaker and he's a comic. When Mike goes off, the, 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 there's a bit I wrote. If you guys go to, um, you go to YouTube, there's a bit I did in Voice in My Head called The Word Retard, which is a true story. We were in a diner one time and this happened. We were, four of us are sitting there. Waitress comes over, asks me what I want, asks my buddy Tommy, asks Mike's buddy and then turns, looks at Mike, looks back at me and goes, what will he have? Well, instead of Mike getting indignant and going, fuck you, I can handle myself. Mike goes the other way and he starts acting so insanely retarded and so insanely disabled that he starts knocking shit off the table. He goes, I like your movies. I Can I have movies? And he starts, and this woman doesn't know. She starts to freak out because it makes her, and, I, I, and I'm a comic, so I'm not laughing. I'm going to let him do it. And he, for an hour, he knocks shit off the table. He spilled water. It was fucking hilarious. And at the end, at the end, the waitress comes up and she's handing me the check and she's shaking. She's just shaking. She goes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I got him up like that. Then Mike goes, don't be sorry. You're my favorite waitress. I'll see you tomorrow. And then, 
<laughs> and we walked outside and I and I, and I wait till I'm outside and I'm, I'm, I'm there's a there's a little grass thing that little hill thing outside there, and I'm just sitting and I start fucking laughing I'm hysterical and I go dude that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life and Mike dead fucking serious not smiling looks me in the eye and goes that bitch deserved it and I thought wow you were being like you you like through he was being angry which is great comedy he was angry through it and he stood it so that's happened to Mike a bunch of times so and I and here's why the movie got done because I, I decided I promised those guys in 06 that we're going to get this done and it took me 10 years to get it done I made a promise to those guys that we're going to get this fucking movie done and Deborah Carrington who was in in, um, in Total Recall she's been in a bunch of stuff and this kid named uh, Tobias Forrest who's really great David Figlioli plays, plays a guy with autism he's the only guy who's just a pure actor that we got um, and then we, we hired we hired 12 other uh, disabled actors for the interview scene you know I wanted to give these guys work and uh, and, they, and give them a shot to be funny they're not going to be it's not going to be a, a Hallmark movie where they're the special little hero you know they're gonna they're they're assholes to me because I'm a jerk my character is you're gonna hate my character for the first 15 minutes he I'm, I am playing me basically uh, <laughs> how'd you raise the money um, I have a, a, a my manager I was a guy named Andy Cohen he's a great guy I love Andy Cohen Andy Cohen is a good, good man and he he he's one of those a lot of people in business your agents managers whatever and not and you you actually get behind passion you have passion when you like somebody there's a lot of people that just want to how much can you make me now and they're they don't care what you want to do they want to put you in stuff that they think they can make fast money on well andy cares he's like he's like all right uh let's get this i said i want to get this movie done he said okay and and he started talking to people and he got these guys to give us money so and i put some of my own money in it we got three of us you know again life doesn't exist without risk so here's what happens is uh, so I, I kind of blew the movie off and I was still kind of blowing smoke up my own ass going yeah I'm going to do it one day I'm going to do it one day and I was in the mall over here in Sherman Oaks and this guy's rolling towards me in this wheelchair and he's got gloves on and I'm watching I'm, I'm, he's like maybe he's a hundred yards away from me and I'm watching people kind of part fucking in front of this guy like it was crazy it was like it was everybody was just going off to the sides left and right and nobody would look at the dude nobody it would, it would just look away the guy's in a wheelchair right so as he walks gets to me I go how's it going brother and he and the guy just he looked at me then he looked around looked to see who he I was talking to and I thought wow what it must it be like and, and people, I don't think people are mean I don't think they're being mean I think we are taught from a very young age don't look don't stare don't talk to them don't make them feel weird well so now you so now you're living in this world where no one looks at you where people just ignore you no you're, you're not a person anymore you're you're a wheelchair that's how you are so uh, and I really got that when I did that. And then I was in, um, so so that back, I was in San Diego working at the American Comedy Company, and I was I went out walking one day. I came back, and there was this woman sitting across the street at a light. She had a she had a she was missing a leg. She had that, that kind of flesh color. I'll never forget it, flesh colored sock on her thing, which is just always weird. Just you know, go to neon if you could do. Don't try to hide your, your leg's not there. <laughs> Get go bright. Get stylish. Go styly. Um, Leather with studs. Just if I'm getting, if I'm losing a leg, it, that, that that stump is going to look good. That's all I'm saying. Um, so I walk across the street, and this woman is sitting there. She's got a bag on. She's staring down, and the light turned green, and she didn't move. And I walked across the street, and I said, I said, how's it going, kid? And she looked up, and she didn't say hi. She said, thank you. And that fucking stopped me. I was like, wow, you 
you you thanked me for acknowledging that you existed on the fucking planet Earth, and that was the moment I decided I don't give a fuck what anybody says. If I, if, if we're gonna make this movie, whether I got to do it with a skateboard as a dolly and a go cam, we're making this fucking movie. And and once I decided that, it was interesting how the universe, and I knew it. It wasn't like I'd said it before. Like I knew we were doing this fuck. I, it didn't matter. We're, whatever. If I have to sell everything I own, we're making this movie. Um. So I decided to do it, and we started started going forward with it. And then I got this weird text one night from Peter Farrelly. I don't know Peter Farrelly. Peter Farrelly just sends me. I just see, hey, Pete Farrelly here. Uh, uh, I hear you doing this movie. Uh, oh, uh, Michael had got Jackie Flynn to show Peter Farrelly the pilot from 06. Jackie Flynn, the comedian from Boston, who's very good friends with Peter. Yeah, very good, and, very, and very funny. He's in the movie, too. He plays my partner, who I shoot in the first scene. I shoot him repeatedly in the first scene. Um and so Peter Fairley says, and I don't, and I'm like freaking out. I'm freaking out that Peter Fairley, and, and, and I text him back, and, and he says, can you send me the script? And I'm like, of course, Kingpin. Are you, let me go down the list. Because wait, because as much as I hate people who have never made somebody laugh, if you've made someone laugh in movies repeatedly, you can have all my attention. <laughs> Anything you want, I'm doing. Um, and that's nothing. That's, that's my big, big thing with executives is that, that, that you come in the room, you tell me what's funny. I want to, I want to, here's what I want to know. Where have you worked on stage? How many jokes have you written? How many scripts have you written? And can I see them? Show me those, and then we can sit down. And you can tell me what's funny. I've been doing this since I was 19. Okay, that's my attitude about it. And I know it's really unpopular. It's not a diplomatic attitude, but we're wasting time. If you're telling me something's funny and I know it's not, after performing since I was 19, you know, 10,000 shows, then I don't have time. Why are we wasting time? Now, if you're going to pay me a lot of money to waste time, I guess, but even that's not fair to you. It's not fair to you or the company that we're wasting money for. That's my opinion about it, and I know this is going to bite me in the ass later on, but that's how I feel. So, and that's the great thing about Andy is that these guys let me do it. So, um, so Peter Fairley, he's, I send him the script, and he goes, hey, man, this is funny. It's a great concept. You know, uh, I love that you're working with disabled. We use disabled actors. I said, I know. You guys are the gold standard. You guys are the only guys who really do. He goes, can I give you notes? I said, hell yeah, sure, you can give me notes. So, he goes, all right, I'm going to call you next week. So, I'm in Denver. And he goes, hey, I'm going to call you at noon tomorrow. Uh, ready. And I've got my computer in front of me. I'm the next day and I'm ready for Peter Farrelly's notes. I know he's going to give me some jokes. Just fucking Peter Farrelly. He's giving me some jokes. Kingpin, whatever. Peter Farrelly calls me. And Peter Farrelly is the nicest guy in the world. And that, by the way, and the best guy in the world. But he blowtorched this script like I have never had a script blowtorched. Like he went down. He didn't just go, this joke, that joke. He went, this whole concept right here where you're, even the bad guys are disabled. He goes, I thought you were trying to make a point that disabled people are, can handle anything. And I go, I am. He goes, then why are the bad guys disabled? They can only take down disabled bad guys. And I had that moment when someone gives you a really good script note where you're like, oh, shit, I'm the shittiest writer ever. I suck at this. And, and, I, and so it blew out literally just that one change blew out the villains it blew out all the henchmen it blew out about nine scenes and i had to rewrite 75 pages of the script and my old titus would have said you know what i know what i'm doing blah 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 but i went no you're peter farrelly you were probably one of the funniest like you have to admit maybe some of the funniest movies in the last 20 years uh okay i'm gonna do everything he says and barry i took that script and i did every single note verbatim what he said and the script turned out so good so i sent it to him and he goes this is great i love this script can I give you notes? <laughs> Fuck! And now, and now I'm like literally growing a tumor. And, and so I'm like, yes, of course you can give me notes. <sighs> I'm at another gig and I get everything set up again. And I'm not in the mood that I was the first time I'm getting notes before he said it. And I go, okay. And now, 
when he first gave me notes, he started out with, let's go to page one. That's where he started. <laughs> this time he goes, page 65. And he gives me a joke. And I go, that's a good joke. And, and he goes, okay. And he goes, uh, page A, no, 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 68. Now page 85. Page uh, 90. Oh, I got this idea for the ending. And that was it. And I did everything he did. And it's, it's, it taught me at this, at being in show business this long, it taught me something that, what I've already known, listen to the people that know. And uh, I guess I'm going to have to learn to be diplomatic to the people that don't. Tell our audience the greatest old tightest story about your Fox show. All right. This is to every, everybody out there right now who's full of piss and vinegar and thinks they're fucking great. Uh, if you're a comic, don't go to the meeting with the network president. Send everybody else. <laughs> don't go. If they say they want to talk to you, say, nah, I'm not good at this. You can't take a guy. All right. Here's what happened. So we have three presidents. And in the three years of Titus, we have three presidents. We have Doug Herzog, who's a genius. Sandy Grusha, who I never understood. Sandy Grusha, you know, great guy. But man, he was, it was, it was, it was, it was always uncomfortable. Both were guests on the show yeah as well as steve mcpherson yeah mcpherson i love Steve mcpherson um he, he, there's some here there's some people that want power and then some people that want to do great work and that's what i found in the business then we have gail berman gail berman came in and uh and gail berman we had we had just had problems from day one we, we you know from the point she wanted to hire faye dunaway uh, i wanted to hire faye dunaway too is to play my mom but faye dunaway came in and pissed off everybody in one day faye dunaway comes to one meeting with me i have i have my wardrobe quits they say if when she's here i'm not working i'll give you another thing I have uh, two of the camera crews quit we had a four camera show two cameras uh, by the way when Faye Dunaway comes in I'm not working with him I'm not working with her so I'm going to send you here's my buddy Rick he has to use his crew what was she doing I, I, it was just reputation because like, some of the guys had worked with her before some told stories about just trying to pull focus just getting near her with the tape measure and they, she got, they got screamed at and then I went to and then I went to uh, I went to Michael and Mindy and I said I said look guys I got a mutiny I go I'm, I want to hire Faye Dunaway God for God's sake what kind of press would that be for Titus but I got a mutiny and the crew my crew had to build a new set every week we it wasn't cheers we because of the way we did we did it in one the, the great thing about titus and I, I to this day i still hold it up as as the best time in my life we did a new set every week and we shot it like a play we never stopped we shot it beginning to end like a play no sitcom does that you know uh, at least didn't at that time and so i was real proud of it but our crew had to do a new set every week so they were busting their ass and so they were really important my crew is the most important now my mistake was i should have made the network as important as my crew so I went into this meeting kind of fired up and uh, and uh, and so I the Faye Dunaway thing happened uh, Faye Dunaway came in and it was a script I had written about my mom's mental illness and Faye Dunaway had it tabbed in, in our meeting and she flipped through every scene every scene that we had and said uh, I'm not doing this I'm not doing this you mean all the stuff that we're supposed to show that my mom's crazy you're not doing any of it no I'm not doing this but my mom's crazy though I know but I can't do this I can't let myself be seen like this and so we okay okay, okay great still I was willing to hire I said, you know what? We'll, we'll, I said, I went to Jack and Brian, who are great producers on the show. I said, let's write around it. Jack Kenny and Brian. Brian Hargrove, man. That guy's just a, that guy's, that guy's a fucking genius. Um, and so, and taught me more about story. Uh, Brian Hargrove taught me more about story in the first couple months of Titus than I'd learned in my entire life of writing stand-up. All great writers will tell you story trumps jokes. Because you, you can put jokes on top of everything. Jokes are just icing. So here's what happens. So, uh, um, so we, Gail and I, I have this argument about, and I, and I said, look, I want to hire her. So I go to, I go to Michael and me. I said, look, I go, 
we'll hire her. I said, I'm for that, 100%. I go, but it, when she, if it blows, if it goes bad, you guys take the heat. And they went, and then I went to Kasim Keach, came up and said, Keach, Keach, Stacey Keach goes, Titus, we have to hire Faye Dunham. I said, sure, Stacey. But I said, do you do me a favor, though? When, if it goes bad, will you deal with the crew? And nobody would. It wasn't their responsibility, and it wasn't. I'm the EP. I should have, you know, I was executive producer. It should have been my responsibility. And I called Gail. I said, "We, I can't, I can't, I can't motherfuck this crew." Now, I think that was my naivete. Look, this business is hard, and sometimes people are jerks, and you got to deal with it. Uh, I should have done something else. I should have said, I should have told the crew. I should have had a meeting with the crew and said, "Guys, Faye Dunaway is going to play my mom. Here's what we're going to do. At the end of the season, if she blows up and you guys are all upset, we're going to have a party at my house, and we're going to burn her in effigy. Are you okay? We're just going to build a big." Big, big scarecrow over and, we get, okay, and we'll get, I'll have little bats made that say I survived Faye Dunaway whatever you guys want to do and we'll do a Faye Dunaway pinata so uh, and she, by the way she she from the second I met her she was she was just she was she was just like harsh she took one of our wigs from the show for a movie she did because um, Cynthia was in it Cynthia watched us and the wig it was a $12,000 wig because Cynthia cut her hair off one season and we had to get a wig made for her and, and she it came back with holes in it and, and, and it was like twelve grand for our budget I'm like what are you doing so anyway, so what happened was is I said, no, we're not going to hire for it anyway. Okay, so me and Gail don't, Gail already thinks I'm an, I'm, I'm arrogant and asshole. And I was just tired, man. I have to be honest. I was doing like politically incorrect and doing the Tonight Show, uh, writing jokes for that, writing bits for that on top of sitting in the writer's room till midnight, on top of working with the actors, on top of rehearsing. I was so, dude, I was, I will never do that again. I'll work just as hard, but I won't do it as long. So I'm in a meeting, third season, uh, we're in the meeting with Gail and Gail says, Darman and Greg had just cheated on each other and their ratings had gone up. And Gail said, uh, all right, new president. This is her third president, by the way. I'm tired of this president thing. And I shouldn't have, got, I shouldn't have gone to the meeting. Should not have gone to the meeting. Uh, I, I admit that. Also, especially as tired as I was. I just, we were, you know, we had so much to do. And, and I, it's still my fault. And it's no one's fault except mine. And Gail Berman goes, I want you to have them cheat on each other. And I knew Darman and Greg were doing that right now. And I, and I, and I looked at Gail Berman. Uh, okay. All right, kids, listen up. If, you're, if you want to get in show business, here's, here's what not to do. I'm going to give you the Christopher Titus what not to do. The network, when the network president says anything to you, you nod and go, that's a decent idea. I like that. That's what you say every time, no matter how stupid or wrong it is. You say, hey, you know what? I like that. That's hey. And let's talk to the writers. I bet you we can make that work. That's what you do. It, basically, all you're trying to do is just basically get out of the room. That's all you're trying to do at this point. So please take my advice and remember, because you're going to sit in that room if you're creative and you're going to go, the fuck are you talking about? That's what you're going to want to say. Don't say that. You go, huh, that's interesting. I like that idea. Please repeat it now. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> okay. So here's what happens. She goes, uh... I want you to have the two characters cheat on each other and have a love triangle, which is what Dharma Greg do. And I went, and instead of going, huh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, you know, we did that episode four, but we could probably expand on it. I could have done that. That would have been enough. That would have been just enough. Instead, I said, do you even watch the show? Because let me explain to you how this show works. And then I proceeded to talk to the network president like she was a three-year-old. I went, first of all, let me explain how the show works. The show is about the whole entire premise of the show is two screwed up people together basically make a couple that is unbreakable because they got each other's back. On top of that, we did it in episode four. We had them cheat on each other in episode four. Have you seen the show? And, I, and now, one-on-one -on -one in a meeting... 
maybe we could have an argument in her office. Instead, dumbass Titus does this in front of 35 people in a big conference room at the top conference room at Fox. Everybody, the studios, everybody's there. And I say, I said, I said, on top of that, I go, if I go, if I haven't cheated on each other now and have a love triangle, I've just blown the entire premise of the show. The entire premise is gone. I go, the whole show is two people together, two screwed people what, 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 can fight, beat anything. If I split them up, I've lied. Show's not funny anymore. You don't trust the characters anymore and the show's over. So we're not doing it. And I'm waiting for, honestly, I'm waiting for literally just like, like 300, like a bunch of Greeks <laughs> into it with abs going, ah! didn't happen. What happened was dead silence. Literally the quietest moment in my career. Just, just nothing. Just like the comics and picture the worst joke you could possibly tell. You know, like doing, doing a Casey Anthony joke like the day she died. It's, that's how quiet the room is. And Gail, Gail sits back in her chair and all Gail says is, okay, do what you want. And it was that quiet. And, and Jack and Brian are sitting next to me and no one said anything. And I, and, and I, and I had this moment of just pure chill where I was like, Oh shit. And, and I'm not making this up. Uh, I used to get the promo sheets, how they promoted Titus, you know, how many commercials every, I'd get them and look at them and the next week. It was like Bernie Mac, 35 promos, Titus, uh, two. And they were like at 1130 at night. So, uh, I was not very, uh, I didn't save myself in that situation, you know, and, and, and I still, you still have to stand up for what you believe, but man, sometimes it just get out of the room, just get out of the room, just, you know, let them say they're, they're, what they're going to say. Cause we had crazy shit said by people. We had some, we had some really great current people. We had some people that were out of their minds. You're like, what are you talking about? Um, in my opinion, again, it's only from, I've been on stage since I was 19. I know I, I can make an audience laugh. I've been doing it. So, uh, so just, just get out of the room. And then, 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 then if you have a problem, I want you to call that person uh, and you go back in the room and you go, can we have a one-on-one? Hey, listen, I don't, I sat with the writers and, uh, we really couldn't make that work. So is you have another idea or how about this, but do it one-on-one. Don't do it with an audience. Cause literally it was like, it was, it was like gladiator and I got killed by a lion, man. Now you've been to the forum. How did you try to clean it up? Um, I hadn't gone to the forum in three years. I'd kind of stayed out of it. I, you know, and I, and it took me two weeks. I actually, I, I'd never felt more because they didn't cancel the show right away. We did that season. And then, uh, by the end, Gail was so pissed that, uh, and the only regret I ever had in my career, in my career at all was I get a call. I have to go, Gail wants to have lunch with me because they're getting ready to pick up the show for the next year. And, and I, I'm driving and Dana, I get a call from one of the Fox executives. Dana Walden. There's another executive, her and Gary Newman, two smart fucking people. Co-presidents of 20th. But they were always smart. Dana Walden and, and Gary Newman were a, a different sides of the same coin, but really insightful. Like, they good executives. So, Gail calls you out of lunch after this episode. Right. So, I'm driving to the lunching, and I get a call from Dana Walden, and she just goes, you better kiss her ass, Titus. You want the show picked up. We love the show. You love the show. Get it picked up. And I was like, okay, all right. I, I made a mistake. I knew I made a mistake. And Dana was dead right. And I go I go to the meeting with Gail, and I, and I here's the biggest mistake I made. I, I went... I go, if you want us to have a baby, we'll have a baby. Whatever you want, we'll do it. And I sold my fucking soul. I sold it out. I should have said to Gail Berman, I should have said, hey, I blew it in that meeting. Bad. I should not have talked to you that way. I just said, but, and this is the last time, by the way, just so you guys know, this is the last time I'm telling this story. I've told this story before, but I've never got this inside. I just got, uh, I should have said, I blew it. I'm never doing that again. I said, but this show is funny every week. Stacey Keach is brilliant and we're kicking ass. I will continue to give you funny. I promise. And I won't talk to you that way again, but I'm not going to change the concept of the show. If you have any ideas, we'll listen to them and we'll do them, but we're going to do them our way. 
Instead, I kissed her ass, and you, you could just see it. And then, the, and, and then, here's how bad it was. Here, but here's how bad. Here's how stupid I was. Here, bad I pissed Fox off. They had to pick the show up by midnight on a certain day to go to the upfronts uh, in New York. <laughs> they called me and told me that they weren't picking up the show at like eleven fifteen, like forty five minutes left. It was like let them wait. No, 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 no. Let them wait. No, no, and let, let the tumor really get 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 purchase, and then we'll call them. So. Uh, so again, so people out there, listen, remember, hey, we want to do this really stupid idea. Hey, it's a good idea. I like that. You know, we're going to try that. Let me sit down with the writers and see if we can figure it out. What am I, $30 million fuck up? <laughs> yeah, $30 million fuck. Is it about $30 million? One. Two. Three. Six degrees of separation. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Tell me what comes to your mind. Okay. Stacy Keach. Genius. Steve Carell. Steve Carell came in and auditioned for Dave and was so funny. It was He got down to the final. It was him and Zach Ward. And uh, the reason Zach Ward got the job is because Zach and I, for some reason, A, looked a lot alike, but Zach and I did this improv that for it was moments of magic. It was moments of magic. And by the way, getting Titus would have fucked up Steve Carell's career. <laughs> so you're welcome, Steve Carell. Dylan McDermott. Uh, great guy, great guy, different, different. Um, uh, one of the coolest guys I've ever hung out with in my life. Jay Leno. Um, just a mensch, just, uh, just, uh, and one of the best comics I've ever seen. And people don't believe that because of the Tonight Show. Uh, but he, the reason Jay got the Tonight Show because he was by far the best comic working. Willie Jello Johnson. <laughs> Yo, man, don't talk about Willie, man. You don't talk about Willie. You don't. You don't bring Willie up. You don't like Willie. Willie is an entity. Willie is always around. Willie like God, <laughs> except uh, he plays rap. You know. Of course, I think God like rap music too. Janine Garofalo. I work with Janine in the in the, in the movie. Um, I like Janine a lot. I I, I was. I like Janine. She's a lot sweeter than I thought she was. She's a really good person. I like Janine. Sarah Palin. Uh, you know, somebody doesn't take a joke well. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe she doesn't, not that she doesn't take the joke well, maybe she just didn't get it. What was the joke? I was uh, doing Adam Carroll's podcast. She had said that thing about Paul Revere where she was like, they said, what do you think about, she's in the Paul Revere Museum and they go, hey, what do you think about Paul Revere? You got anything? Well, he was just great. He was shooting the guns and ringing the bells. And she goes, he was just amazing. Shooting the guns and ringing the bells. So the next day on Adam Kroll's podcast, we're at the Irvine Comedy Club, and I say, you know what? If she's elected vice president, or if she ever gets to president, I said, I'm just going to reserve a spot on the grassy knoll, locked and loaded, ready to go. That's what I said. That's all I said. That's all I said. Audience laughs in front of 300 people. Funny joke, right? Funny. Audience, you know why I know it's funny? Because the fucking audience laughed. That's, that's a joke. Two days later, Bill O'Reilly goes on Fox News and says, well, we have a problem right here. Comedian Christopher Titus has threatened to kill Sarah Palin. All of a sudden, my Twitter blows up. They're like, fuck you, man. You can't threaten to kill somebody. We're going to kill you. What? And, I'm, and so my agent goes, he goes, do you know what happened? I go, no, I don't know what happened. My Twitter's going nuts. And he goes, uh, he goes, well, you did that joke. And so, so, I mean, it was scary. It was scary. The crazy that came across was scary. That's why this new show is, is I, I, I was actually being a pussy about writing this new show about what's happening. And, I, and now I'm not. I've decided that now I'd rather I would rather go all the way and have someone take a shot at me. I hope I survive it because then I'll sell the, that album will sell like crazy. Anyway, so here's what happened. So uh, uh, so 
I write an apology. I call, I call Bill O'Reilly says, do you want to come on the show? If Christopher Titus is out there, we want him to come on the show and talk about this. Call me a pinhead on TV. So I call my publicist. I go, call him. They said, oh, no, no, no. We're fine now. No, we're not going to have him on. Pussy. Bill O'Reilly's a pussy, by the way. Just want everyone to know that. Um, called him on his shit and he wouldn't have us on. So here's what happens next. I write an apology. I said, you know, I said, I want to put this public apology out. This is to Sarah Palin and her family. If you thought that I was serious about causing anyone in your family harm, I apologize. That is not what I meant at all. I'm a stand-up comedian. And I, and I totally understand you being upset if you thought that. But... That being said, the reason I said this joke and the reason the audience laughed because because we have a people we as we as as Americans have set the bar so low at a possible leader that we would actually even consider Sarah Palin. You don't give the stupid cheerleader the Uzi. <laughs> Sincerely, Christopher Titus. I'm sorry. That's what I learned about the Gale meeting is like, I can't not be me. You know, first of all, no one, like, like people may not like me or may not want to work with me or whatever. I'll get it done anyway. There's too much, there's too many ways to get media out there now. Uh, I've also learned what, what it really costs to produce something. And so I can do it myself now and I can do it and I can, you know, win or lose. I did it how I wanted to do it. And the second you give up your soul for fame, money, whatever, you're just fucked. You're fucked. You can't walk, you just walk through life feeling like, I just, I can't walk through life like that. There's a lot of people that can exist in this town and be like, yeah, fucking sell that fucking guy. I didn't believe in that shit at all. But it's like I made two million off it. I can't do that. It's got, I got to have passion for it or love for it or it can't get done. Your proudest moment in show business. When I was sitting at the Writers Guild uh, Awards with the crew from Titus and we lost, we lost to everybody lives Raymond, but we were in the room, you know, for a guy, for a DF student. And it was a script I'd written and everyone got mad at me. You know, if people got mad, I was like, but I said, did you guys submit your, your scripts? And they went, no, none of the writers submitted their scripts. I submitted mine and I get nominated. And so we're sitting there and Jack and Brian and Chris Sheridan and Patrick Megan and John Morey and all these great writers. We had such a great room at Titus and, and sitting with those guys was the proudest moment for me because, because there's no evidence that I should have been there. No evidence at all. And so that was it, man. And those guys, and those guys to this day, my biggest regret of losing the show is not the money, although it's a $30 million fuck up. It's not the money. It's that, that me smarting off to the network president lost 150 people, their jobs. And the show was good. The show would have done really well. Your biggest disappointment in show business. Having a TV show that was groundbreaking, pushing the envelope, working, reviews from Rolling Stone to every, I, if the Time Magazine were just through the roof. And then, and, and just because uh, my high school issues and Gail Berman's high school issues ruined something good. Yep. But by the way, it's not Gil Berman's high school issues. It's 100% Christopher Titus's high school issues. Last question. What advice would you have for the young comic who has angst issues trying to get started and navigate through the world of not just stand up, but creating and writing their own stuff, also executive producing and getting to the next level and having the kind of career that you have? Uh, I would say... Um don't try to figure it out. Don't try to figure it out, man. Just do it. Do what's in your heart because that it, it's it never worked when I tried to figure it out. It never worked when I tried to give them what they wanted. They don't fucking know what they want, and they never have. They don't know. You think Breaking Bad was was turned down by how many different stations before it got on? I mean, let's go down the list of brilliant shows that were turned down. Turned down. The person slaps a risk rock in front of you and then says it's too risky. You shouldn't be running shit. You know. So at the end of the day, you got to do do your passion. 
passion and don't give a fuck because even if even if you do your passion with a skateboard and a go cam you can put it on YouTube you know that's where everybody that's where, that's where people don't quite get it yet you know I started doing my special in Evolution after Evolution we started shooting our own and uh, people don't get it. You can be in, you can be in charge of it. There's no gatekeepers anymore, and I and, and that's why the movie got done. There's no gatekeepers. We still have to sell the movie. I still you still have to do the product, but the gatekeepers are gone. So don't worry about the gatekeepers anymore. That's my advice. Don't worry about the gatekeepers. Do what you want to do. Christopher Titus, you are a fucking force <laughs> of the universe. I won't be talking to any gatekeepers after this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, man. I, I got to go do a show for the troops. I actually. I'm going down to Irving to do a show for the troops right now. Awesome. Yeah, that's right, man. See, that, see how it worked out in? And then I helped the disabled, and I'm doing the troops, and now, see? You're doing God's work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. 
And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.